Hello, everyone. Lou, you are outrageously small. Okay. Wasn't Jordan amazing? She is blowing me away recently, and I like it. Sooner or later, the student will become the master, and Paul can do one. Okay. I'm getting really cocky straight away up here, aren't I? Wait till I preach. Okay. So, um, this morning, we're going to talk about grace. Now, there are lots of situations where people have to have grace for me, because... I'm a very imperfect human being, but when we set out to start with Hope FC, the, our wonderful football team that represents you guys most weeks through the football season, um, we wanted it to be a team that would represent you well. And in the difficult moments, and believe me, there is a lot of difficult moments to stay calm, we have tried our best to stay calm. Now, when we started it up, I didn't know a guy called Dan Gregory. Now, Dan Gregory is an excellent young man with an excellent temper. <laughs> so when one of these times came up where it became, where it became, Dave, stop texting me. <laughs> when, when, it, when one of those wonderful moments came up where our tensions were, I don't know, peaked, it became interesting to have Dan Gregory in our team. When it was like, okay, we want to represent these guys well. We want to represent Hope Church well. We want to stay calm in these cool situations. It became immediately one of those situations comes up. And my first port of call was turn to Dan Gregory and see if he's punched anyone. <laughs> that was the immediate reaction. It was like, oh, something's going on. It's got nothing to do with Dan. Where is he? <laughs> stay back. <laughs> That was what it became like. So there was once a game that we played against Woody's, which is a church that we have an ex... Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't Woody's, it was Wickham. Um, and Rochi... <laughs> Rochi suddenly became Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and he, he was getting frustrated, and of course, it had nothing to do with Dan, but Dan starts jumping in, and I couldn't, I couldn't calm him down. Obviously, there was nothing actually crazy going on, because it's Roach, I mean, what, what's going to happen? What's he going to do, hit him with his pepper army arm? <laughs> but, but <laughs> sorry, Roach. <laughs> so wanna... <sighs> this is too much power for me, isn't it? Sorry. Anyway, so Dan Gregory starts getting involved, and I... I can't get him to turn away. And the only way I found out I could get him to turn away was to annoy him more than he already was in that situation. So I pulled his shirt down until his nipple came out. <laughs> and then he turned around and he was like, what are you doing like that? And that was the only time I could get him to get away. So just painting you a little picture. Sorry, I, sh I shouldn't say nipple interruption. Um, that was the only way I could get him to turn around, though, <laughs> just being honest. So... <laughs> So just painting you a picture of what Dan is like, right, in, in football. Now, last season, genuinely, I really got to give him some credit. He completely turned it around, and he just became this different person. So we were playing a team called Downend. They're a really, really, really good bunch of guys. We get on with them really well. They've got a great sense of humor, and 
being a bit brutal here, they get beat a lot of the time. And their attitude is amazing. It's really hard when you're getting beat. It is hard to not let your pride rear up and be an idiot. But don't worry, because I'll wave the flag for the idiots and I'll represent them this, in this story. So basically, we were like 7-1 up. <laughs> and they nearly went through on goal. And I was running to get the ball. I was there first. And their striker decided to get me in a headlock and pull me down to the ground. So there's testing number one. That immediately got me annoyed. And I don't know what it was in that particular morning. Normally, I'm pretty good at keeping my cool. But it riled me up. I'll be honest, it riled me up. Okay, so we, we get our free kick. We move on. Later on in the game, they play the ball down the sideline. It's me and that striker one-on-one -on -one again. I make a good tackle. And he goes down like this. Falls to the ground. I was like, are you kidding me? A minute ago, you've got me in a wrestling move, and now you're hitting the deck because I've given you a tackle. So you can see I'm still very bitter about this. <laughs> so I stood over him like some sort of undertaker and just said, you've got some funny jelly legs going on there, mate. And he looked up at me and was like, that was clearly a foul. And then a stupid argument started. Of course it did. So... I moved on. It got given as a free kick, which I thought was a joke, but anyway. <laughs> we went into the box, and I was marking him up. So I came over, and again, he grabbed my shirt. He used my Dan Gregory trick against me. He grabbed my shirt, pulled me down, and I'm about to fall out, and I'm like, well, you get off me. So it kicks off again. Eventually, we're like almost face-to-face, -face, and there's a little me inside the back of my head that's like, Jacob what are you doing? You're facing off with someone. You're going to use the Dan Roach pepper army arm and it's all going to go badly. This isn't impressive in any way. What are you doing? But my anger just took over and we were face to face. I feel someone grab me from behind and pull me away. And they pulled me away and I turned around and I was met with the cool, calm and collected face of Dan Gregory. My life flashed before my eyes. And suddenly, I was an idiot sat on the bottom step, and Dan Gregory was over me, <laughs> wagging his finger. No, genuinely, he was really cool and calm, and he didn't hold it over me. As much as I make a little joke, he didn't hold it over me. He's like, come on, Jay, you're better than that. He reminded me that I was better than I originally was, and he didn't lord it over me. He was very, he was very gracious in that moment, he could have... Made a real fool out of me. Admittedly, he has bantered me a lot about that since, but we'll move on from that. But imagine the possibilities in our relationships if we let that mentality take hold, that grace mentality in the moment where you could lord it over someone. Imagine what would happen if we let that take hold. Imagine dad, what dads or mums we, we would become if we did that with our children. That would be pretty amazing. What about your relationships with your friends or with your wife or with your husband or with your boyfriend or girlfriend, what would happen if in the moments where we all know marriage is really a game of 1-0, 2-0, scorekeeping, that kind of stuff. Imagine what would happen if we let go of that. Imagine that. That would be pretty awesome, right? We live in a world that has a debt-for-debt debt mentality. Even in banking, the way that we handle our money shows it. Whenever we are overdrawn, we've got to go back up to make it right. And it's funny, that little mentality seems to creep our way into our relationships. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't working in the same way. We, we shouldn't be looking at our relationships the same way we look at our bank statements. 
it seems a bit odd. It seems a bit funny. Um, Dave, is it you in there, Dave? Yes, it is you. Um, can we get the first little slide up, please? Two Corinthians. Nice. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is Paul, the guy that we were speaking about, or I was speaking about last time I was up here. He's writing to one of the, one of the churches that he is, I suppose, helping to grow. And he is talking about, he's got this problem that keeps on going on and on and on and on and on. And it's getting him down. It's making him weak. And he's prayed to God to ask for help. And God's reply is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So he's saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. When I read that, immediately my mind took me straight back to secondary school. I was like, okay, boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Secondary school, I don't know about you, but secondary school for me was a dog-eat-dog world. There was a brutal amount of banter in secondary school. If you boast about your weaknesses you've got some trouble coming your way. If you've got a name that represents something in any way embarrassing, you've got to know that that's going to be your name the whole school experience, isn't it? We all know that, don't we? The unfortunate nicknames where it's like, I can't avoid that, it's my name. My name is Hobbs, so you can imagine what rhymes with that. <laughs> and that happened the whole way through my secondary school. But it's funny, isn't it? These things, we, we hide so often from the parts of ourselves and we can't boast about them at all so for me I I don't know because I haven't gone to a doctor to 100% figure it out but I am 99.999 recurring so I did learn something in school Um, (laughs) sure that I have got or struggle with ADHD my brain works at a thousand miles an hour and I just really struggle to focus in those moments so When I went to secondary school and I was in class, it would be nuts for me to sit there and concentrate on loads of numbers in maths or whatever. I would literally be sat there and I would look up at the board and my eyes would just slowly start to cross and I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is all going over me. It was a horrible, horrible experience. But in that moment, I couldn't show that. I had that mentality of... Okay, I've got to hide. So I hid behind not taking school very seriously, which turned out to be quite a big mistake, as it turns out. But I really, really struggled with that, and it eventually destroyed my personality. I had to hide behind the fact that I didn't care. Quite often, I think we see it in in a lot of... Well, we see it in, in people altogether, but particularly in teenagers. If you're not comfortable with yourself the easiest way to handle it, or certainly I found the easiest way to handle it, was to hide behind laziness. I don't care. I don't care. That's the first thing that, that, would, that would step up my, in my attitude is, I don't really care. Because it's easier to hide behind that, because if you don't care, it doesn't really matter to you. And if I did care, I'd probably be all right. If I really worked it, I'd probably be all right. That's like the mentality. But actually, inside my head, I'm thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. My brain doesn't work in the same way as everyone else's. I can't do this. It was really, really challenging. But really, when we look at that verse, grace has allowed him to be comfortable with himself. 
that's a crazy thought. That's a crazy thought, that grace would allow him, it gives him license completely to be like, do you know what, I do care, and I really, really am struggling with this. It allowed him to just breathe and just be comfortable. That's awesome, isn't it? The thing is with insecurity and not being comfortable with yourself is it bleeds out like red paint in water. You know when you dip a paintbrush in water and suddenly it just starts to open up and disperse and then you spin the brush around and the whole water's red. You know that, anybody ever seen that when it just completely dilutes the water? That's what insecurity does to you. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm particularly excited about this a little bit. I first witnessed this most in a man called Jimmy Reynolds. I love Jimmy Reynolds very much because watching his life is particularly enjoyable. (laughs) When he first moved here, he was a man crushed, crushed by himself, crushed into negativity. And it was very, very, very enjoyable to watch, particularly because of the things he would say. Can we, Dave... I just, just get ready with the first Jimmy Reynolds quotes, if you could, for me. I want to paint to you a picture of the man that Jimmy Reynolds is. He is, uh, put your hand up if you know who Jack D is, the comedian Jack D. Imagine Jack D, but he's been in the, in the Sahara Desert for four years, <laughs> trapped in there, drier and drier and drier at every moment. The first quote from Jimmy Reynolds, please, Dave. There's a small gap for excitement. <laughs> Now, this, <laughs> this little quote here, this is the one that started it off. We were at a cup final when he said this. We were all in a circle, arms over each other, a band of brothers, united in this moment. We are going to win. We were getting pumped. We were like, come on, boys. Yes, yes. We all turned around. We were like, come on, like that. I was walking side, side by side with him, and he went, there's a small gap for excitement. <laughs> like that. I was like, oh, is that now? And he was like, yeah. I was like, but I thought, if you're telling me this is the gap for excitement, show me some excitement. He's not capable of that emotion, apparently. The next one, Dave. Once, I had a phase where I would eat the chewits with the wrapper on. <laughs> there he is. I didn't even realize he's in the room. There he is, everyone. If you want to know who that is, he's right there in the corner feeling really uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. Another abuse of power. I think we've got something I need to pray about after this. Next one, Dave. Next one. When I get married, I want a silent wedding. (laughs) It's amazing. Look at Jade, the potential wife, next to him. He just patted her head like a dog. (laughs) Next one, Dave. One of the biggest reliefs in life is I don't have to give birth. What a relief. (laughs) The way he said it as well was so good. There was a good pause in the middle of that. He said, I don't have to give birth. What a relief. (laughs) Next one, Dave. I hate the flag people at church. (laughs) Just to be really clear, if you've waved a flag at this church, I don't actually think we have any flag wavers at this church, but he wasn't talking about this church. He was talking about his church back at home where it would be like, the lion and the lamb, and they'd really go for it like that. 
<laughs> Next one, though. This is why Valentine's... <laughs> why is Valentine's Day always about the woman? I thought it was supposed to be a celebration of the relationship. I mean, why can't I buy her chocolates and flowers? And why can't she take me down the park for a kickabout and put a can of Stella in my hand? <laughs> Do you know what, mate? The world according to Jim Rounds. I agree with that. Fair enough. I agree with that. That's good. I like that. Best of both. Talking about bread. It's a stupid idea. Just pick one or the other. Why are you so angry about bread? It's just bread. Leave it alone. I killed a butterfly once. It was a quick death. I killed it. I grieved. And then I moved on. <laughs> Is that the last one, Dave? No more. No more. Sorry about that. I should have just carried on with that. That was great, wasn't it? There is a lot more that I could say, but they are so inappropriate, I can't tell you. Oh, man. Oh, man? Wan? Man? Wan? Oh, man. <laughs> so, it, is, it was funny, but also the opportunities that Jimmy was nearly missing out on because of his insecurity. Because I know he's, when he got baptised, he told everyone about struggling with drink and stuff like that. That part of him was so weighing down on him that he was missing these opportunities. And one particular opportunity came up when there was a very, very, very obvious amount of flirting between Jade and Jimmy. Ah, oh, can we have a big ah oh, just to make him feel as awkward as possible? Ah, oh, I haven't actually asked Jade if I can say this, so it could be trouble. So when they started flirting, the world knew, but Jimmy didn't. Somehow, somehow, he didn't know. There was laughter, there was doughy eyes, there was unnecessary contact, like Jimmy's little dog pat that he gives Jade all the time. And eventually, it boiled up to a point where at GNC, <laughs> at GNC, Jimmy came up to me and he was like, I, I think I like Jade, but I just don't think I'm ready for a relationship. And in that moment, it was hard for me to not say, you're an idiot, it's very clearly there, just go for it. But I didn't want to push him to a place where he was uncomfortable. So I sort of just said, mate, whatever you're ready for, whatever you feel right for, just if you're comfortable, go for it. I think it would be great. She clearly makes you very happy, but it's up to you. Eventually, he just took the plunge and he went for it. But I feel like that only happened when he came to a place where he was okay that at some point he'd have to let her in to his struggles. And it is just, I don't know, I don't mean to like overdo it, but it's just been amazing to watch their relationship change each other for the better. It's been amazing to see what a difference it makes when Jimmy looks at Jade and he is a mess in some ways. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. He's a mess in some ways, and she accepts him for exactly who he is. That is, that changes people's world. It changes the way you think about yourself. It does that thing that Paul was talking about, where he's like, do you know what? I can boast about this now, because this person loves me no matter what. And it's been really amazing to watch. But I can understand this, this grace-for-all mentality. I can understand how it makes you feel in like, well, how does anyone ever improve? 
How does anyone ever get better? Where is there room for challenge? Surely we need to challenge each other at some point. Anybody who's a parent in the room must know that at some point you've got to challenge your child's behavior. I get it, but the, the irony is really is that grace often, not all the time, it, it doesn't work out 100% of the time, but grace often earns you the privilege of being the challenger in that relationship it earns you that so often, especially if you're a Christian, you've got to be telling people how to live for some reason. For some reason, we think we can tell people how to live without earning the right to say that in their life. We've earned a reputation for judging, haven't we? When, you, when, the, when the world looks at the church, what does the world think of the church? I mean, it's got to be judgment. Or it's at least got to be in the top three. I mean, we've done some amazing things as a church in the world, but we've done some pretty bad things as well, haven't we? I just think, when, when I was at school and I was really struggling, there was this guy, this support worker that worked with me one-on-one. He was called Mr. Hayes. And he had such an impact on me that when I was writing this preach, I tried to search him up and find him on the internet to get hold of him and thank him. Because he earned the right to challenge me. Because he never gave up on me. When I was being a little... (laughs) When I was being an idiot at school... (laughs) Safe word. When I was being an idiot at school, he never, ever, ever gave up for me. In fact, it gave up on me. He provided for me a safe place to be. His office... He said, even if I'm not in there, if you're losing your head, just come to my office. Just walk out of your class and come to my office. It was like, you're allowing me to walk out of class. He gave me the special privilege and everything. He didn't care about what the other kids were thinking. Oh, how comes Jacob gets this special privilege? He knew that I needed that extra bit of love, that extra bit of grace. He knew I needed that. Once, I went into his room, and normally when he was there, he'd be, he'd be like, I can see you're stressed, sit down, have a sweet. He, he had these sweets in his drawer, and he'd be like, have a sweet. <laughs> it sounds really patronizing and dumb now, but yeah, maybe I was. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'd sit down, and it would just be a safe place for me. And once I came in, he wasn't there. And I was just sitting in his office, just chilling, trying to cool my head, trying to be like, it's okay, I can get through the day. It's all good. And uh, I went in his drawer, and I took a sweet out of the jar, like a cocky little idiot. And I left a little post-it note saying, got your sweets, I found your stash. And uh, <laughs> it's really cocky. And I like, went away, carried on with my day. And later on, when he got back, he called me to his office. And he really, like, in the best way possible, he just let me have it. He laid into me. And normally, my reaction would be, oh, shut up, I don't care about this person. They're just an idiot who doesn't care about me. But he earned that privilege in my life to say that to me. And I was really, like, deeply upset with myself. Because he said, he was talking to me like, I've got private files in there about other students. I told you specifically if you were to come into this, if this was to be your safe place, you've got to uh, abide by the boundaries that, I give, that I've given you. You can't go in my drawers, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just walked over that line. But it had a profound effect on me. He had earned the right to say that to me, and it meant so much more to me. For me, he was the person that started to raise the bar 
for what I would expect of myself. Dave, I think the next slide is this one. When you believe in the best in someone or of the best of someone, you raise the bar for what they think is possible for themselves. Grace is essential in that. It's essential because everybody knows we are going to get it wrong. We are going to get it wrong. We need those people around us that are going to give us a break, that are going to give us a breather when we just feel like we're trapped by our own bad habits. We need someone to just be like, it's okay, pick yourself up, move on, it's okay. I'm a sports coach, and uh, I spend a lot of my time around children. I spend a lot of my time trying to get them to believe in the best in themselves. And I found two really, really powerful sentences in sports coaching, and they are really, really simple. And I, I believe, I mean, I ain't got loads of wisdom with loads of stuff, but I really feel like building people up is something that, over time, I've started to get good at. These two sentences are the most powerful sentences that I use. And those sentences are, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. They are so simple. Everyone can say that sentence. Everyone can say that sentence. When I am coaching, and you've got a kid there, and you can tell they hate sport, or we're not academy coaches, we don't go to um, these places where kids have been playing sport their whole life, most of the time they just don't really want to be there because they've got that same mentality ha that I had when I was in school, which was, I don't believe I can do this, so all this is is setting me up for failure, and it's embarrassing. So the first thing I have to say to a child like that is, come on, I believe in you, you can do this. And even if they don't believe it themselves, they've got someone they respect, someone that's in front of them that does believe it in them. And when they achieve that, you can see the light come up in their eyes. And it is amazing. The feeling that you get inside you when you see that happen for them. That is why I love that job. That is why I love that job. That, that one light in their eye, that one moment where you can see you have helped build confidence in someone else. It's crazy. Straight after that, to meet them with, as soon as they come over, they're like, did you see that? The first thing, I'm proud of you. It's awesome to feel accepted, isn't it? It's awesome to be able to boast about your weakness. Because they say, when they come up to me, they were like, I couldn't do that before. They are boasting about their weakness. Because grace has made it okay for them to be okay with themselves. It's awesome. <clears throat> I've been watching <laughs> this documentary recently. I love documentaries. As those who know me, I watch a lot of documentary. I, I, do you know what? I think I found that I hated school so much that I thought I hated education. Then I found a way to be educated that I really enjoyed, and now I can't get enough. It's crazy. I just watch so many documentaries. And I'm watching this one at the moment called Last Chance You, which is about this university in America that takes on kids or most of the time they take on kids that have come from Division I schools. So a Division I school is, uh, or a Division I American football team is a team that is preparing to be drafted by the NFL, which is the highest possible football league that you could get in America. It's a multi-billion pound industry. And the guys who are at, in a Division I college team, they are prepping for the big time. And basically, these kids, they have messed up in some way. They've been taken to jail in some way. They've done something that, that, the, uh, that the public eye has seen 
is seen as despicable or wrong. And this, they get ditched by their Division One teams and this other college takes them on and they give them a second chance. That's why it's called Last Chance You. And um, it's awesome. But there's this coach called Buddy Stevens. Oh, man, I hate him so much. Oh, he is an idiot. He just shouts at them. He tears them down. It's that classic, like, deep South American thing where it's like, I'll get the most out of them by tearing them apart. And I just, I don't see it personally, but it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to see how resilient they are. And he's in the deep South, and they hate that he swears. And in the first series, he is swearing and swearing and swearing and swearing, and he is giving them such a hard time. And in one episode, he has a fight with a referee, and it's literally like, come on, man, what example are you setting there? It's crazy. And then the game afterwards, they're, they're set up to win the national championships. The game afterwards, they have a huge fight with the other team. And he, um, he gets them all in in a big circle. And he's calling them fugs and he's ripping into them. And he's just a massive hypocrite. He is a hypocrite because the last game he had a fight with a referee. And now he's trying to tell them off for having a fight with, it, with, with the other team. And they basically, they lose their chance for a championship um, shot and they were the favourites to win, they lose it. He deserved to be fired in that moment. He deserved it. But recently, the other day, season two was released on Netflix and I have chomped through it. I've pretty much not spoken to anyone for two days because I've just been watching it all. It's been amazing. But he, the grace he got, he, he got hired again for another year. And the grace that he got this year, it is so funny to watch him. His team will be losing, and you see him outside before he goes into the change room at, at, at half time. And he's like, <laughs> and he's throwing things over, and he's lobbing things across the room, but he's completely on his own. And he takes a deep breath, and he opens the door, and he's like, come on, guys, you can do it. The chance he got given, you can see he's like clinging on by his fingernails, but the chance he got given... It's just, it's changed the way he is. The grace he got given has changed the way he is. And he hates the cameras. He hates the cameras because they're exposing his weaknesses. But he's accepted it. And he knows, do you know what? I'm just going to boast in my weakness and I'm going to show everyone that I'm a changed man. Or show everyone that I'm trying to change. And that's okay. Um, George or um, Al, I don't know if you want to come up. Um, last time I was here, I was talking about Acts 20 to 11, where Paul was totally messed up and Jesus has stood over him. Jesus has stood over him and you think Jesus is going to give him an earful and he doesn't. We got to, we've got to change or turn that lens over from how God looks at us to how we look at other people. The next, um, the next verse I want to get up, Dave, if we can, is John 13, 34 to 35. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge now. We are known for judgment in this world. That has to change. That's got to change. We've got to be known for the love that we have for each other. When we're stood over someone in guilt, 
what will we say? When we aren't the one in guilt, when the shoe is on the other foot, will we be a generation of people that is known for their love for each other? I'm going to pray. And um, yeah, the guys will lead us in, in some worship.